0: I'm Jamelyn Steffen, and this is Want to Want It, episode number 46, Lessons from Essentialism by Greg Kuen. Welcome to Want to Want It, a podcast for women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who are ready to ignite not only their sexual desire, but all of their desires to create a more fulfilling life and marriage. I'm Jamelyn Steffen. I'm a certified life coach, a wife, and a mother of seven children. I'm excited to share my personal journey to desire with you and teach you how to desire more as well. Hello, everybody. Did you survive Christmas Day? I'm actually recording this before Christmas, so I don't even know how my Christmas went, but I've decided ahead of time that it was amazing. So I hope that your Christmas was amazing as well. Today, I want to talk about the book called Essentialism and What I want to do is kind of just give you a Coles notes, because sometimes I have a book that I really, really want to read, and I just know I'm never going to get to it. And sometimes I just wish someone would give me kind of the best stuff from it or stuff that they found really useful and powerful. And so that's what I'm going to do for you today. I'm just giving you the stuff that I really loved from it. There was actually so much that I loved from it that I probably won't talk about today, but I want to give you just the best little tidbits from this book that I feel like is so powerful. Now, I should probably tell you a little bit about Greg McEwen. So I'm just going to read from the back of his book. Um, he writes, teaches, and lectures around the world on the importance of living and leading as an essentialist. So he's spoken to lots of different companies. He's a popular blogger for the Harvard Business Review and LinkedIn's influencer group. He co created the course Designing Life, was a collaborator of the Wall Street Journal bestseller Multipliers, and serves as a young global leader for the World Economic Forum. So he's well-educated, he speaks a lot, and I really loved his book. I really loved what it had to say. So the first concept he introduces in the book is the concept of less but better. So here's one of the quotes from the book. The way of the essentialist is the relentless pursuit of less but better versus the undisciplined pursuit of more. So I think it is really easy for us to get caught up in more and not necessarily just trying to get more stuff all the time, but to just be more, do more, have more, require more, which isn't necessarily bad. But like he says, is it undisciplined? Is it just doing it without any thought? Essentialists don't give up everything, but they're very deliberate about what they give their time, money, and brain power to. Less but better means that whatever they're going for, they're giving their best to it and they can give their best to it because they aren't trying to do it all. The undisciplined pursuit of more is more likely to actually keep you from achieving the things that matter most to you because they become big distractions. They hold you back because they distract you from what actually matters. When I think of less but better, I think of restaurants that I go to that have a very small menu. Everything on it is delicious. When I go to a restaurant that has this massive 10-page menu, I really worry about the caliber of the food because I think it's really hard to make a hundred things very good. So, in my experience, I have found that less but better applies when I go to a restaurant. And I think about a talk that was given by Elder Dallin H. Oaks years ago, and it's called Good Better Best. Some things are good some are better, and some are just best. And when you're striving to be an essentialist, you want to always make the best things your focus before the better and definitely before the good. Because let's face it, there are so many good things we could buy, read, watch, do. So I really love this quote by Jeff Weiner, who's the CEO of LinkedIn. He said, fewer things done better. Now, I know so many of us sometimes struggle, oh, what's the best thing? What's the best thing? And we get all confused. And I don't want you to do that because it just keeps you stalled out. Just honestly, do your best to figure out what is best. Don't get all caught up in making sure you have it perfectly right every time. The next thing he talks about in the book are priorities. If you don't prioritize your life, he says, someone else will. And I have seen this in my own life, and I'm sure many of you have as well. If you don't give thought to your actual priorities, the undisciplined part of your life will become subject to the priorities of others, or just even informed by the priorities of others, right? Somebody on social media or your neighbor or someone from Hollywood who doesn't actually live your life can start to influence you so much on what should be your priorities. Now, here's a quote from the book that I loved. The word priority came into the English language in the 1400s it was singular. It meant the very first or prior thing. It stayed singular for the next 500 years. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. Somehow, we would now be able to have multiple first things. So then he goes on to explain that when everything is labeled a priority in our lives, that is essentially telling our brains that nothing is a priority. Now, I know for me that when I learned this, this was so freeing because it took the pressure off from having a hundred different priorities. So I work in my business. I work for my husband. I work in my house. I'm a mom. I'm a grandma. I'm a wife. I do work in my church. And at different times of day or on different days, each of these could actually be a priority for me. It could be the thing that requires my time and that I'm focused on. But I also really know that if push came to shove, I would sacrifice every other responsibility for my family. Like that mother, wife, grandmother, that role of the female head of my home, that is my actual true priority. And I'm just glad to know that. It's not because it's the only thing I ever do or the only thing I focus on, but it's good for me and my mind to know that's actually my number one priority. Now, if you are struggling knowing what to make your priority, ask yourself, will this activity or this effort make the highest possible contribution toward my goal? This is one of the questions that Greg gives in his book. Will this activity or effort make the highest possible contribution towards my goal? Whatever that is, whether that's doing something in a business, cleaning your home, or showing up for your kids. Another question that you can ask is, what's important right now? And he goes on to say that until you know what's important right now, what's important right now is to figure out what's important right now. Don't just start going willy-nilly. And I see this when I talk to people about scheduling. Some of them will say, I don't have time to make a schedule. I'm like, listen, if you take one hour to schedule your week, I promise you will save yourself hours because you won't waste time on anything. You'll know exactly what you need to do. So if you don't know what's most important right now, sit down and figure that out. So when I have to plan a really busy week, and I feel like every moment really counts this week because I don't have a lot of flexibility and I start to get bogged down and wondering, oh, what should I do first? I have to ask myself, like, what actually has to be done first? What has a time limit on it that has to be finished first? If there's something like that, then that goes first and it becomes the priority. And then when it's finished, then something else moves into that space and becomes the next priority. But sometimes just asking yourself these questions, like, what's important right now? What must be done right now? What is going to give me the highest possible contribution? Asking yourself those questions can really help you prioritize. He goes on to say, anyone can talk about the importance of focusing on the things that matter most, but to see people who dare to live it is rare. And I get that because it's actually uncomfortable to decide on a priority. Think about it. If you actually have to make something the priority, it can feel so hard. So the next thing in the book is he talks about the core mindset of an essentialist. Okay, so these are the three things that you need to have as your kind of your way of thinking if you want to begin to be an essentialist. So number one is individual choice. He says, I can choose how to spend my energy and my time. So remember, there's no victim mentality here. There's no I have to do this, or this is what I should do, so I'll do it. That's not how you want to be thinking. You want to remember always that you have choice in how you spend your time and spend your energy. So, William James wrote, My first act of free will shall be to believe in free will. So, the very first thing to remember is you have choice, okay? The second core mindset of an essentialist is to understand the prevalence of noise almost everything is noise, he says, and a very few things are exceptionally valuable. An essentialist thinks almost everything is non-essential. So that doesn't mean that something that maybe would be considered noise or non-essential doesn't get any of your time if you want, but it's just really being honest with yourself about how unessential most things really are. Okay, and the third core mindset of an essentialist is the reality of trade-offs. We can't have it all or do it all, he says. Stop asking, how can I make it all work? And start asking the more honest question, which problem do I want to solve? Okay, so those are the three core mindsets. Individual choice, the prevalence of noise, like understanding most things are non-essential, and the reality of trade-offs. And so I want to talk about trade-offs because I loved when I read this part about trade-offs. Here's what he says. We can try to avoid the reality of trade-offs, but we cannot escape them. By definition, a trade-off involves two things we want. Do you want more pay or more vacation time? Do you want to finish this next email or be on time to your meeting? Do you want it done faster or better? Obviously, when faced with a choice between two things we want, the preferred answer is yes to both. But as much as we'd like to, we simply cannot have it all. He goes on to say, Essentialists see trade-offs as an inherent part of life, not as an inherently negative part of life. Instead of asking, what do I have to give up? They ask, what do I want to go big on? I really loved when I was reading this because here's the truth. Trade-offs are inherently uncomfortable. Because it's not a choice between something we want and something we don't want. That's easy. It's a choice between two things we want. So, as I read this part of the book, I realized that by making trade offs, I actually would be happier in the long run if I was willing to do that because I wouldn't be stretching myself thin or trying to actually do the impossible. But I also realized that it was going to be uncomfortable and that was going to be okay. And I had to be okay with it. So, you can just accept that trade offs are going to be uncomfortable, but in the end, you're going to be better off. No one wants to make a trade off because We want what we want. We feel entitled to it all. And we don't want to ever have to make that tough choice. But then we're miserable. So just know it's discomfort either way. So here's another quote from the book. The way of the essentialist rejects the idea that we can fit it all in. Instead, it requires us to grapple with real trade-offs and make tough decisions. So he is admitting here in the book that it's a bit of a wrestle at times to make this tough choice, which means it's uncomfortable. But in the end, you're just picking your pain. So it's either the pain of deciding up front, that discomfort of having to make a trade-off, or the pain of the consequence that comes when you can't actually come through because you won't make the trade-off. And now you have forgotten things, you haven't been able to complete the project or whatever, and things aren't going well. And maybe you're kind of embarrassed, right? Either way, it's going to be pain. Okay, the next part of the book that I loved was this idea of thinking time. So he says, set aside distraction-free time in a distraction-free space to do absolutely nothing other than think. So Frank O'Brien, who is the founder of Conversations, said, if my people are too busy to think, then they're too busy, period. So I have actually not been really great at making time to think. But the first time that I tried this, I was so amazed. Because if any of you are like me, you lay down in bed at night and suddenly your brain is going 100 miles an hour and you can't stop yourself from thinking. And I actually think it's because it's the only time that we have where we're sitting still, it's dark, there's no distractions, and our brain finally has time to have its say. If you want to sleep better at night, set aside time in the day to think. If you sit in a comfortable chair and just let your brain go, you will be amazed at what it comes up with because you suddenly have space and time to remember the things you have forgotten and you have space and time to actually think through a problem and come up with a solution to try. All that stuff that comes up at bedtime can come up at thinking time instead. So I I find that I actually have a lot of troubles remembering to set aside thinking time and my brain always wants to tell me that I don't have time for thinking time. But I do try to do it, and some of you may naturally do this, but I do try and do this when I'm doing maybe what you'd call like large motor activities, like don't require much brain power. So, you know, driving to a store that that I drive too often, or doing the laundry, or washing dishes, or going for a run, these kind of things are great times to just think. But, you know, too often I'm putting on music, or putting on a podcast, or listening to the news, or whatever. But if I force myself to sit in silence, then I start to think and it's so great. So just recently, I was driving to a basketball tournament with my son. And so I had to drive three hours north and three hours back south. And I had this car full of teenage boys and my 11 year old daughter was with me. So all the boys have their AirPods in and they're just listening to their music. And my little 11 year old was like, Can I borrow your phone to just watch a little show? Because she didn't really have anything to do. And so I had nothing. I couldn't turn on the radio because I didn't want to disturb everybody. I didn't have my phone to listen to something. So I just started to let myself think. And I did a lot of talking to myself in that six hours. And I got some really helpful clarification for different parts of my life that I hadn't really been giving much thinking time to. So just consider how to build in a little thinking time into your life. We need it. The last thing I want to talk about today is getting it done. So there's a popular idea in Silicon Valley called done is better than perfect, which I love. My coach talks a ton about B-minus work. Just get it, done and put it out there. Don't put out garbage. But don't try and make it perfect all the time because if you're always trying to make it perfect, it's never going out. The other thing he talks about in getting it done is late and big versus early and small. So late and big means doing it all at the last minute, pulling an all-nighter and making it happen. Early and small means starting at the earliest possible moment with the minimal possible time investment. So take a goal or a deadline you have coming up and ask yourself this question. What is the minimal amount I could do right now to prepare? Often just 10 minutes invested in a project or assignment, two weeks before it is due, can save you much frantic and stressed out scrambling at the 11th hour. So my coach also talks about the idea of procrastinating ahead of time. And she says, if you have two weeks to get a project done, try and get 80% of it done in the first couple of days. Because then if you have to do stuff last minute, you only have 20% left that has to be finished. And so often when you start early, you see the roadblocks that maybe are going to come up. You see the things you maybe need to collect. I mean, I remember pulling all nighters for projects for school, and it's three in the morning, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, I need felt pens that work. I need a poster paper. You can't get those things at three a.m., especially not in 1990." So was that that prep early, that doing some of it early, totally. This idea of saving you frantic and stressed out scrambling at the eleventh hour is so true. Okay. I hope that this has been helpful. I want you to remember, less but better. I want you to accept that a great life requires trade-offs and that even though it's gonna be uncomfortable, it's okay. Be willing to really make one thing a priority at a time and ask, what is important right now if you need help with that? The core mindset of an essentialist is that you always have a choice where you spend your time and energy, that most things are non-essential And that life requires trade offs. Find some time to think. Boss your brain at bedtime and remind it that sleeping time is not thinking time. But this will go better if you give yourself time to think in the day. And lastly, just get it done. Try to start early and at least do a little right away. And remember, done is better than perfect. I want to end with this quote from the Dalai Lama If one's life is simple, contentment has to come. Simplicity is extremely important for happiness. Have a fantastic week. I hope that this helps you as you move into the new year and start to make goals and decide on things. I think this is so helpful to think about what is actually essential and build your next year around that. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you like what you hear on the podcast and you'd like to learn more, feel free to head over to my website, jamalinstephancoaching.com, or find me on Instagram or Facebook at jamalinstephancoaching.